Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The U.S. Men's National Team is set to take part in the World Cup in Qatar in just a few weeks. And while there are so many unknowns about what's going to happen when the U.S. actually does play, one thing we do know is that they're guaranteed three games. One of them is going to be against England. One of them is is going to be against Wales. And one of them, presumably, is going to be against Iran. And the Iranian national team is is a really interesting one. They're very, I, I would say, opposite of the U.S. in a lot of ways. But I'm not an expert on the Iranian national team. And and for a little bit more on that, we've brought a, a genuine Irani expert onto the show. Uh, he is Shyan of the Next Generation Football. Uh, Shyan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Are you ready to talk some Irani national team with me? Yeah, no. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Sam, I appreciate you having me on. And I'm, I'm really happy to be here. And I'm just excited to talk about the Iranian national team, the USA, you know. It's a, it's a historic rivalry that dates back to 1998, so I'm excited that we have a reiteration of it in this upcoming World Cup, hopefully. The funny thing is, I've been on your show a couple of times. The first time I went on your show, it was probably like a year ago, maybe more since then, and you were asking me about a combined U.S.-Iranian national team, and I was like, man, I don't know anything about the Iranian national team. I don't know these guys. And then lo and behold, uh, the U.S. gets picked to play Iran in the World Cup. Uh, it's crazy how things have changed and, and what an exciting time it must be for you uh, because these two fan bases that you're so close to are going to be going up against each other. Uh, cool moment. I, I think if we're talking about the Iranian national team, there's really two sides to the discussion. There is the soccer and there is the politics. And it seems like the politics are taking center stage right now. I think we'll get into the politics a little bit later on, but I want to start with the soccer. Uh, Whenever you look at the scouting report for this uh, Iranian national team, it seems like they're opposite of the U.S. in in ways because their strength is the forward position and the center back position or or the defensive line, whereas their midfield seems to be a little bit weaker. And for the U.S., that's kind of the exact opposite, where we have this great midfield and we struggle at that front line with the striker position and we struggle at the center backs. Is that fair to say? Is that a fair characterization of the Iranian national team? Yeah, I mean, with most of the discussions I've had had with a lot of uh, USA pages like yourself, I think that is kind of the biggest thing, and especially with the uh, you know the discrepancy in the striker position. I mean, it's almost guaranteed certain who's going to be playing there, and still for the USA, it's almost it's still a revolving door. And um, but I think luckily, a good thing is I think for USA fans is now we're starting to now see who that goalkeeper will be for you guys at the World Cup if Greg Berhalter doesn't do anything dubious and something bizarre. But it should be Matt Turner for you guys as well. And but yeah, I think it is pretty fair representation. I wish our midfield was as strong as the USA's because that's something I'm very, very jealous about. Well, we wish we had a striker, anything like Mehdi Tarimi, because I remember whenever the, the, um, the, it got announced that we were playing Iran and, and a lot of Americans like myself started looking up that national team and we saw this striker who's playing for Porto and just seems to be scoring a lot of goals. Uh, you look at him and it's not, like, it's not like he's this explosive athlete that is terrifying like Mbappe. It's not like you know he, he, he does all these terrifying things on the field, but he seems to be just an all-around striker that just, it gets goals almost like a machine. I mean, he just hasn't stopped it. And every stop that he's been at, he's been able to uh, contribute goals to his team. He's contributed a significant amount to the Irani national team. What can we expect whenever we go up against this player? Football is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all your football betting needs this season. 
You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, and even golf. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE to receive your rewards. Bet online, where the game starts. I mean, I think recently I saw a clip with Eric Vinal that he spoke about, and I think he actually spoke about it very well. I mean, the big things that uh, USA fans are looking at is the likes of, like, you know, England focusing on Harry Kane, Raheem Sterling, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, that team has a plethora of amazing players. And then you think of Wales, you think of Gareth Bale, but I think kind of the player that USA should be most worried about, and I think he's probably the best striker in this group right now, based on form and how well he's doing in the Champions League and domestically in Portugal is Mehdi Tadami. And I think, you know, he's been, he's kind of like, it's not spoken about a lot, but he's like the Jamie Vardy story arc. You know, he's a late bloomer. He's 30 years old now. I mean, he started playing domestically in Iran. Then uh, as an Iranian, you have to do two years of military service. Obviously he went and did that. Played uh, Played in Qatar, I believe, for a little bit. And then made that jump to portugal with rio ave he was a good striker for them and then porto splashed around five million pounds or five million euros on him and then he hasn't really looked back since and he's not a guy like you said like he's explosive like mbappe but he's so like he's so tall and he's so good with his feet and he can score goals in any type of way and it doesn't really matter and we've seen how important he is to this porto team and you know porto has been a revolving door with players leaving like luis diaz etc etc but he has stayed, and without him, we saw in their first game they played against Bruges because he wasn't able to play because he was suspended due to his red card against Atletico Madrid. They got spanked 4-0, but then he was able to play in the game in Bruges, and he was the guy to score the first goal on Club Bruges this season in the Champions League, and they won 4-0. So we can see how much of a difference maker he is to one of the best teams in Europe, and you know I'm really happy to see it. I haven't seen someone this good for the Iranian national team in a, in a very long time. And he's only one half of the striker partnership. He's going to be partnered alongside with Sadar Azmoun. He happens to be the Leverkusen striker whose jersey you're wearing right now. Um, it, it, I saw a stat that I, I think that duo, uh, Tarimi and Azmoun, accounted for like 12 of the 18 goals in World Cup qualifying for Iran, something crazy like that. Um, I, I know um, Azmoun's been uh, in and out of the lineup for Leverkusen lately. Uh, what what do we know about him? Is 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 he going to be in form and fit and ready to go for the World Cup? You know, I think with Asmoon, uh, to track it back a little bit, just I think there's always there's got always a story to something when talking about these players. Is you know he was a guy that was hailed as the next big thing for Iran. He was known as you know every country has their their Messi. He was the Iranian Messi, um, and you know he played domestically in Russia for Ruben Kazan and Zenit. He ne- this wasn't necessarily like a lights out player for them. But whenever they played in Europe, both of those teams in Russia, he would score against the likes of Atletico Madrid, Chelsea, Juventus. So he always scored in those really big games. And that's why he got that move to Zenit, continued that with Zenit in the Champions League. And then finally recently got his big move to Europe with Bayer Leverkusen last season. And he had a really good, fir- uh, he joined in January. So he had a really good stint during that second half of the season in Leverkusen. And the start of this season, I don't think it's his fault, but Leverkusen have just been bad. And uh, sadly, he's been one of the players to blame, which I don't think is totally fair. And now he just recently picked up a calf injury. It's something super serious, I believe, but it's something minor. And 
you know, I wouldn't be too worried if Asmoon is 100% fit or not fit because we recently saw in the recent friendlies now with Carlos Kirosh returning, which I'm almost certain we're going to talk about, but we saw him deploy a one striker formation in both those games, which was very successful in the recent matches. So even if he's not fit, I still believe in the other forwards that we have in this team. And I wouldn't be super worried about, but if he is fit, you know, we might play that two striker position against the U S because I think the worst case scenario, he only misses the England game. And I trust Sardar Asmoon that he will be a guy that when he's on that pitch, he'll be ready to go. And I don't think he's going to be a guy that's going to be banging in the goals. I know in the last world cup, that was kind of the biggest thing for him because Mehdi taught him he wasn't the striker he is now. And, you know, a lot of the goal scoring was put on his shoulders, which he didn't do. But I think the good thing is, I think with uh, Asmoon, that this time around, he can be more of a provider than having to be a goal scorer. And we see that a lot more with Leverkusen since this since the end of last season and a little bit in the beginning of this season when he was in form. But then obviously, now they've done a coaching change. And we'll, I'll be interested to see if Chabi Alonso, once he's back fit, will have faith in him to start starting him in games because Chick has been terrible this year as well. Well, those two players have accounted for the majority of Iran's goals. Um, it's a little concerning for me, considering uh, Canada is a team that the U.S. really struggled with throughout World Cup qualifying. And you look at their player setup, and they have some fantastic players in the attack, uh, and, and largely kind of sit back uh, and let those players go forward. How is would you say that that's kind of a, a comparable way to the way that Iran played throughout World Cup qualifying? Just kind of sitting back behind those two great strikers or the one great striker if Osmond's not able to go um, and just kind of letting those guys do the work up top? Yeah, I think as someone that watched a lot, like pretty much all of USA's World Cup qualification, mostly all of CONCACAF uh, World Cup qualifiers, I think Canada does have some similarities in how John Herdman sets up. I think now maybe with Carlos Kiros, I think John Herdman has a lot more of those similarities. Obviously, things were a little bit different in World Cup qualification because we were under the Croatian manager, Dragon Skocic. And granted, he had some highlight moments. He had some moments that uh, we thought, okay, maybe there's potential with him. But at the end of the day, I think he was very heavily reliant on the forward line of Mehdi Tadami, Sardar Azmoun, and Ali Reza Jambash. Those three were the only three pretty much scoring for Iran throughout all of World Cup qualification, the only ones providing assists for each other. And I think definitely if the opponents were a little bit more difficult under Dragon Skocic, I think things could have gone a little bit more nippier for Iran. And I think things now, though, under Carlos Kiros, I think we can see a little bit of more of this team cohesion where the whole team is playing. But of course, the all the limelight will be on those two guys. And we can expect them to hopefully be the guys to get goals and get assists at this World Cup. You mentioned the manager situation for Iran, and I know uh, as an outsider looking in, following that, it, it's there's been a little bit of drama there. Can you kind of tell us what, what's been going on with the manager situation from Iran uh, from World Cup qualifying to now? Yeah, so... Um, you know, at the end of the 2019 Asian Cup, uh, that was Carlos Kirosh's final stint with Iran. You know, he bid his farewell and I think goes down as the greatest coach in Iranian f national team history. Um, he was there, I believe, since 2012 uh, until 2019. So he was with us through the 2014 and 2018 World Cup cycle. We started off this new World Cup cycle with former Belgian national team coach Mark Wilmot. Then there was a big falling out with him because Iran was doing very poorly in the first round of qualification, losing to the likes of Iraq and Bahrain. And we saw Iran looking outside in in World Cup qualification just in the first round. And 
you know, we you know, after that falling out, we sack uh, Mark Wilmot. We bring in Dragon Skocic. He rides the ship. Iran finished top of the first round of qualification. Pretty much no real hiccups from Dragon Skocic. Then in the final round of qualification, the only concerning part was their only two World Cup caliber esque matches they had were against South Korea, which they didn't weren't able to get a win in. Uh, the first game that was in Iran ended one to one. Granted, Iran hit the woodwork multiple times in that game, so they could have easily probably won that game. But I think that was purely down to individual brilliance. Then we play the next game in Seoul and Korea. Both teams were already qualified, I believe, so the game didn't really matter. But Iran did play a bit more of a rotated lineup as they were missing four or five players in that game, but got kind of spanked in that match. So it was a little bit concerning. And then then began, then we kind of ignored it. We're like, okay, we qualified top in the end. Not a big deal. Let's now see how we do in friendlies. Then obviously the Canada friendly gets canceled due to politics. I mean, that's kind of... That's kind of just the baggage with the Iranian national team. Politics always get mixed in with things with this team. And then, you know, Dragon Skocic decides, hey, let's go to Doha. Let's do our preparation there. Makes no sense because no team is in Doha at this time, except for the teams that were playing their, you know, final game of World Cup qualification that had that final one-off match. And, you know, that's when the wheels started derailing. The players started losing confidence in him. They're like, this doesn't make sense. The preparation's been so bad. Then we play against Algeria and a friendly as our only friendly in that first uh, window of, you know, World Cup, qual- uh, World Cup preparation. And we lose, not in really good fashion. And it wasn't even Algeria's strongest team. I'd say probably it was their B team. And at that point, everyone was pretty much done with Dragon Skocic. Some said, you know, maybe we should keep him. Uh, we have our new hiring of the Iranian Footballing Federation president. It was, uh, you know, that was finished. And he promised... Uh, that he'll bring in Carlos Kirosh if he was elected. Then he gets elected. We bring in Carlos Kirosh. Life is good because I personally really liked him, and this will be his third stint as the Iranian national team manager, and I would say he is the best manager in this group of the three coaches, other three coaches with USA, England, and Wales. Is I think he has the most highest pedigree. I mean, he's coached under Sir Alex Ferguson at the greatest time at Manchester United. He was Colombia's coach, Egypt's coach. I mean, some people would say his stint with Egypt wasn't successful. I would disagree with that because he made it to the AFCON final and made it literally and lost in penalties to Senegal and then literally was a penalty shootout away again against Senegal to qualifying them, Egypt for the World Cup. I mean, let's say if one penalty kick went different for him with Egypt, he would have won him an AFCON and qualified him for the World Cup. So I don't think there's really much more you can ask for him there. And I think he has a lot of pedigree, and I'm just really happy to have him back because I think he's significantly better than the likes of Southgate, uh, Berhalter, and so I'm I'm happy to have him here. So I mean, changing your manager right before the World Cup that seems like uh, like a, a scary situation. What's the confidence like in, in the fan base? Are people uh, excited that this change has been made? Is there some concern about making such a drastic move right before the World Cup? How are people feeling? Yeah, um, I know that's a big thing because I think we saw in last Latin the last World Cup in 2018, like with Spain, they sacked Lopetegui. They brought in Hierro super last minute. Granted, this wasn't as last minute, but it, we all know this. You and me, it's like it goes against the grain of the soccer gods to sack your coach that qualifies you for the World Cup. It's against everything in this sport, and so kind of think, ooh, maybe it wasn't a good move. But I think even as some of the greatest managers like Jose Mourinho and and you know, etc. You know, if they lose the dressing and they lose the dressing room, there's really no going back from that. And so it was pretty much, okay, yeah. Iran, are you going to bite the bullet? You're going to just stick with it. And then we might have a, you know, an instance of the 2006 World Cup where that was probably one of our greatest squads ever as well. I think 
on the same pedigree as this one. And then crash and burn in that World Cup where we could have probably gone out of that group. Um, or are we going to, you know, pull the trigger, like, for example, like Chelsea Football Club does, and, you know, make that change. And that's why they've, weirdly enough, been so successful. And we decided, you know, we still have, like, possibly two to four more friendlies left. Let's just sack them. Carlos Kirosh is super familiar with this team. This is still the same core team from the 2018 World Cup. So this wouldn't be anything that extreme. I, I mean, I'd understand it would be a little bit more risky if we brought someone that's never coached this team. But Carlos Kirosh has been with this team. Now it will be for a decade. So I don't think it'll be anything drastic with bringing him in. Luckily, we've already got two friendlies done, and we'll have two more friendlies before the World Cup starts with him. So that's four games. That's still more than what we got under Dragon Skocic. The fact he's so familiar with this team and the fact these players love this guy and are willing to play for this guy, I'm, I wouldn't be worried. And uh, I think, if anything, I think it's better that we made this decision than sticking with our former coach. Well, you know, the, you mentioned the 2018 World Cup and, and coaching changes. The U.S. had a coaching change uh, during World Cup qualifying in the 2018 World Cup for, I guess, similar reasons. Uh, uh, with Jurgen Klinsmann, there was factions within the, the U.S. locker room. There was a lot of issues there. Uh, they bring in Bruce Arena, who at the time was one of the most storied and uh, best coaches for uh, U.S. in the history of the program. He was the coach that brought the team to the quarterfinals in 2002. Uh, of course, he uh, was unable to get the team to qualify. It seemed like those fractures in the locker room never did heal. And there's articles that you can read on that if you're curious about that particular group and kind of what went wrong there. Uh, so my question is, if there were locker room issues under the previous coach, are those going to remain under the new coach? Was it all derived from the coach? Were there tensions within the group? I would say it did derive a lot from the head coach just because, um, you know, they weren't confident in him. And then there kind of became a divide in this team. Some kind of were on that boat with, you know, keep drag on Skocic. And then some were in the boat with like, no, he's not really that good. And he doesn't know what he's doing. And we'd rather have someone else with higher pedigree because we are a team that is arguably the best team in Asia. So we deserve to be having a coach that knows what he's doing and can bring us to the potential or exceed us to that potential that we are at as a team. And this is arguably the greatest team. I know people would disagree with me and that's totally fine. That's what opinions are all about. Um, I'd say this is the greatest team and maybe Iranians, the Iranian national team's history, in my opinion. I think this is one of the most well-rounded teams we've had. And I think you need a guy that can elevate this team because these are we now have a lot of superstars and so i think there's there's a lot of difference too i mean that was a good point though i didn't think about the bruce arena thing but with that usa team i think also there was a reason why bruce did get sacked in the first place and he was i think personally for me i think bruce was kind of past his best maybe some would argue maybe carlos kiros is past his best but i would say at that point bruce was so past his best we saw how kind of the the things, the wheels started derailing when he was with the Galaxy and things started going south there. And so I think there's a bit of difference, but I think that's a, it's a good point to bring up too with that. But I'm not really worried about it one bit, especially I would have maybe been a little bit worried depending on how the friendlies went with Senegal and Uruguay. But we saw two really good performances there. So I'm not really that concerned. Yeah, just to put a bow in, in that, I mean, another point to the 2018 debacle was that the team was just not very good. I mean, if you look at that lineup today, um, in, in retrospect, and you see some of the guys who were going out there and World Cup qualifying, uh, it just was not the strongest U.S. men's national team. And, and I think ultimately, 
the quality of the players is going to uh, show through uh, on on how well the team does, regardless of kind of all these outside things, regardless of the coach or the tactics or whatever else. If you got good players, you're going to get good results. If you got bad players, you're going to get bad results. It's just kind of how things go. Let's move on. I, I want to come back to this kind of the the fractions in the locker room, but. Let's move on to, uh, we didn't talk about the midfield. Uh, I did see in a preview for the Iranian national team that I read uh, that one uh, reviewer said that this might be the worst midfield in Qatar for the World Cup. Uh, I I see you're kind (laughs) of, that hurts to hear. Uh, Do you think there's some truth to that or you think that's a bit overblown? Um, I think he's actually somewhat accurate on that, to be (laughs) honest. It's just hard to hear, like you said. And I think... Because I think one of the darlings of our midfield, his name is uh, Saeed Ezatalahi. Uh, he started off his career at the Youths of Atletico Madrid, was probably, and some would still argue, is Iran's most talented player. They would say he's more talented than Sardar Azmoun and Mehdi Tadami. They would say he, is, he was a guy that had the, uh, the good old saying, he had the world at his feet. And um, due to injuries and things like that, it just it never kind of came to fruition. And currently he's playing in Denmark. and. You know, I'd say, yeah, no, he's not totally wrong, but I think a good thing that Carlos Kirosh did, because it was pretty much the same midfield as 2018, if anything, just a bit older, is he is able to pave over those cracks as a good manager of the deficiencies within this team. We didn't see a lot of midfield issues, and if anything, funnily enough, for how poor this midfield might arguably be, it outran the Spanish midfield back in 2018. And that is not a showing of a good coach, and paving over the craps, cracks of the deficiencies of this team, I wouldn't be worried about it too much. But granted, I would say our midfield is the worst, but I think we have other key parts that can help that out and make it a little bit better. But then again, I will say another darling in that midfield is Brentford midfielder Saman Kodus. And, you know, I know he's not getting regular minutes at Brentford, but I mean, he's still playing. I know this is the big discussion, you know, he's not playing a lot. But then, but with him not playing, he's not getting injured, but he's still training day in, day out with a top Premier League team. And I personally, for me, I don't really care if he doesn't play as long as he doesn't get hurt and he's training regularly with that team. And that then I'd worry about after the World Cup. Before this World Cup, we need, I think that's the biggest thing with all national teams. You want your players to be playing, like in regards to training with their teams constantly. Granted, it wouldn't be bad if they played a lot, but he's still getting minutes with Brentford, but I just don't want him to get hurt. And I think he could be another guy that can add that creative spark to this midfield. Granted, he's not much of a defensive midfielder. He plays more of that 8 and a 10, but he's a guy that I think has improved a lot in his career this past four years. So, you know, maybe he could be a guy as well that could uh, help out this midfield. I think the biggest deficiency with Iran, which is uh, a thing I'm envious of with the USA, is we don't have a Tyler Adams. We don't have a really good CDM in this team. We have Omid Ibrahimi. He's like 33 years old, 34 years old. So he's a little bit past his best, but he's like one of our only true center defensive mids in this team. So I'd say this is the biggest concern is a proper CDM, but you have 11 other guys on this field that I think we can pave over that deficiency because no team's perfect unless you're Brazil or England where you have a plethora of amazing players, yeah. but I'm not super worried about it. But that article that you brought up wasn't totally wrong, and I can take that with a grain of salt. Yeah, it, it, it seems like if you're the, the midfield is going to dita- dictate um, how and where your your team plays, they're they're going to be able to control the field. So it seems like Iran's not going to be able to control the field all that well. But that kind of plays into Iran's hands because they've got these two great strikers up top. 
who can create and score goals on their own. And uh, the other strength of the team, I think, is going to be the back line. Uh, center back Hussein Kanani uh, is a is is a player to watch. Can you tell me a little bit about him and why why Iranian fans are so excited about his game? So it, you know the defensive line. I think I think there's actually I think his def- his defensive partner, and depending on if it's Majid Hosseini who plays in Turkey or uh, Khalia Zadeh who actually plays on the same team as Kanani in Qatar. So. I think we've seen some success, especially, for example, with the Qatar national team who won the previous Asian Cup in 2019. All their players play domestically. And I think that's something that goes very much under the radar with there's that cohesion where they all understand, you know, what it's like to play with each other. And I think that's a big part with Kanani and uh, Khalia Zadeh. They both play together domestically in Qatar on the same team. And I think, you know, Kanani, there's actually a really funny story with him. Um, there was an audio file leaked. I know this isn't what you asked, but, you know, I'll bring this on for the viewers because you guys had a similar kind of kind of situation with. I Western know exactly people. what you're talking about. Yes, yes, it's yeah. true. <laughs> and, um, you know, he was like messaging a girl saying, hey, let's like hang out on the team bus when obviously those were COVID protocols and obviously served a couple game suspension for him. And, you know, it's very lighthearted. I, I don't really it doesn't taint my image of him, as I said, similarly with Weston McKinney. And if anything. It's just a funny story. He's Mr. Invite Your Girl to the team training bus after training. And so, no, he's a guy that also is just really good in the air as well. I mean, we've seen him score a few goals off corner kicks. And I would, if anything, say our more of our star center back is uh, Majid Hosseini, as I said, who plays in Turkey. And, you know, I think and transfer market is, I believe, our third highest valued player for around four million pounds. So, but Kanani has come to his own as well. And I think a big key part of our defense um, is how two of our center backs, two of our three to four center backs play together on the same team, which I think will be pivotal playing in Qatar and, you know, having that cohesion and chemistry with each other. Yeah, that cohesion and chemistry point is so interesting. You know, we look at the teams who are successful in the World Cup and some of the great teams historically. Uh, and one thing that I think the U.S. is just always going to struggle to replicate is that some of the top teams, Germany, Italy, uh, Spain, have built in these teams in their own league where the majority of their national team players play on. If you look at the German team that won the World Cup, I mean, their players came from largely one team, but two teams. I mean, they played for uh, uh, Bayern Munich and they played for uh, Dortmund. If you look at the Spanish national team, whenever they were the top team in the world, all those players played for two teams, and the majority of them played for Barcelona. Um, if you look at the Italian team, it's the same thing with Juventus. Uh, these, and, and if you look at the English team that struggled so much whenever they had their golden generation, uh, and, and they speak about why they struggled so much with like Gerard and Lampard, the issue was that they all played on different teams and, and they were infighting within the group. And uh, the, the Arsenal players didn't sit with the Liverpool players who didn't sit with the Man U players. And, and there was all that tension. And you wonder if Gerard and Lampard would have played together at one squad and would have hit the World Cup with that cohesion, what they could have done. Uh, it's a great point. And I think it's one of those things that uh, whenever people look at national teams and think about uh, what makes them good, what makes them likely to succeed, it's one of those things that people kind of overlook. And I think it's just so damn important. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's move on to the right back. Sade, <laughs> help me out here. Sade Marami. Yeah, Sadiq Mohorami, who I think has been just a revelation this season. I mean, he plays for Croatian Giants, 
Dynamo Zagreb, we all know them. And um, he has been very surprisingly successful. I wasn't surprised. I called it. I just want to put my hands up. I said I thought with this Champions League draw with Dynamo Zagreb, we could maybe see the best out of him as they're in the group with uh, RB Leipzig. I mean, sorry, RB Salzburg, uh, Chelsea, and AC Chelsea, Milan. Yeah. And yeah, and he, you know, opening game of the Champions League group, they play against Chelsea. They play a similar lineup to maybe how. Uh, Iran might face off against England, went up against the guys of Raheem Sterling and Ben Chilwell, pocketed both of them, kept the clean sheet, got his team the win. Then when they played in Italy against AC Milan, played really well against Rafael Liao. Um, and then I believe in the game against Salzburg, though, he did give away the penalty, which ended up costing his team the game, didn't play the following game. And then the next, I think the most recent game he started, hoping that he can yet again replicate a really good performance against Rafael Liao. But AC Milan were just too good for Dynamo Zagreb, and they were desperate for the points. But uh, Sadek Mohorami will probably be our starting right back. And, you know, I think he's been now with uh, Dynamo Zagreb for three, four years. And, you know, I know it's going to be a hot take, but I think he is kind of on that level of Serginio Dest. I know Serginio Dest is, I believe, decently younger, I think by four years, five years. But Sadek Mohorami, I think, is on that par where I think his defensive game has improved so much. And offensively, he's also improved quite a bit as we see him now chipping in with assists for the best team in Croatia. And now he has a couple of titles under his belt. We can see that he's doing well in the Champions League. I mean, that's the highest level you can play. Grant, he's not playing for the best team, but you know that should give brownie points on top of it because his team's not going to have many chances. The team's going to be suffering a lot uh, on the offense in regards to you know the teams are going to be attacking them constantly. Can he be mentally focused for 90 minutes? And that's going to probably be the task he's going to have at this World Cup, going up against the likes of, you know, either Sterling, Grealish, Pulisic, Bale. And I'm not super worried about him. I think he can hold his own, and I'm very confident. And I'm really happy that, you know, he's learning that bit of success in the Champions League and learning that little bit of failure of like, okay, you know, I messed up in this moment. How can I translate that now into the World Cup? Because he's going to go up against probably the best wingers in the world in this tournament. But I'm not super worried about him. But he's very much a very talented player on our defensive line. And on the same level as Majid Hosseini, uh, that I think he's probably one of our best defenders. Let's let's go to, uh, last but not least, the goalkeeper position. Who is going to play goalkeeper for Iran? What's your confidence level in that, in that group? Um, so it's really between, I guess, technically... Uh, three goalkeepers. Um, I'm just going to mainly talk about the top two. It's pretty much between... I think everyone's favorite darling goalkeeper in the 2018 World Cup, uh, Ali Reza Baranvant, who uh, infamously, famously saved Cristiano Ronaldo's penalty in the final group game of Iran's World Cup uh, match. And then there is Amir Abedzadeh, which, fun fact, his dad was the goalkeeper in the 1998 game against the USA. Ahmad Reza Abedzadeh, who uh, obviously Iran won that game. And so... You know, like father, like son, both goalkeepers. His dad is very much famous in regards to players for the Iranian national team. It will be Ali Reza Baranvant. Um, You know, after 2019, uh, he won the league title with the best team, arguably, in Iran, in Paris Police. Then, you know, obviously after that World Cup, being successful domestically, you know, some European teams came calling. He signed with Antwerp, was in and out of the squad, then went on loan last year to Boavista, was in and out of the squad. And then now realized, took one for the team. is like, you know, I'm going back locally to Iran so I can be a consistent starter. He's back in Iran, making saves, starting game in, game out. He's most likely going to be the starter. But we did see a little stint under Dragon Skocic where Abed Zadeh was starting games. He's more, can play out of the back a little bit better. Not to say 
Baron Von Kant, but Abidzad is more of that modern style, style goalkeeper. A little bit of the same problems USA is kind of having, but I think now with Carlos Kiros back, I don't think we're going to be worrying a lot of playing out of the back, but he plays for a uh, uh, second division Spanish side, uh, Pomfredina, on a consistent basis, but the guy has got mistakes in him. Kind of like Zach Steffen. I think there's a lot of similarities with that, and I don't want to see him starting. And um, I think Baranvalt will be the starter. We saw him start in the game against uh, Uruguay. So I think he'll most likely uh, be the starter for us. Oh, I don't want to see Zach Steffen starting, so we got that in common. Uh, as we look at this group for the World Cup, um, I mean, England, of course, is the top dog and is, is likely the, uh, the top seed. Uh, but after that... I mean, depending on which odds books you're looking at, um, whales in the U.S. are kind of dead money. Uh, some odds books have the whales, whales ahead. Some odds books have the U.S. ahead. Uh, Iran tends to be last in the group, but not by a long shot. Um, it seems to be an absolute um, winnable group, regardless of uh, which side you're, you're supporting. Uh, what are Iranians thinking about this group? Do, do they feel like they um, are, are going to get to the second round? Do, do, or are they, um, what do they feel about England? What do they feel about Wales? What do they feel about the U.S.? Um, I, I want to say I'm a little bit different from the main people from Iran. I think the main consensus, though, from all Iranians is this is it. You know, we've seen now Iran qualify for three straight World Cups, and they have never made the round of 16 in all their qualifications to any World Cup. And I think this is it. I think this is one, as I've mentioned early on in today's video, this is probably one of the best teams uh, for the national team's history. Um, and I think they, it's just the main consensus is just get to the round of 16. It doesn't matter how you do it. And if anything, I think uh, Iranians don't mind being kind of like these underdogs or being known as, oh, they're dead last, they're a bad team, like blah, 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 blah. And I think that's fine because that was the same thing we wrote in 2018 and literally we're one kick away from topping a group that consisted of Portugal, Spain, and Morocco. And, you know, I, you mentioned this, that England are shoe-ins possibly and should be the shoe-ins to finish top in this group. I'd actually largely disagree with that. I think it's anyone's game to finish top of this group. It could truly be Wales. It could be the U.S. It could be Iran. And England could easily finish dead last based off of the form that they're in. Uh, granted, they are playing really good teams, and they could they have that quality to flip that switch when the tournament starts. But we've also seen them be unsuccessful in tournaments and not be good in World Cup groups. Cough, cough, the 2010 World Cup group, which the USA and England were in, and, you know, USA topped that group. And so I think, um, for me, I think, yes, Iran should and can make it out to this round of 16. And if anything, I think are a better team than Wales and the USA right now. And I know I'm fine with us being written off as a team that's not spoken about, not part of the main conversation. And I think our big are very much written off when it comes uh, to the Eng to the English national team and to the U.S. national team. Obviously, there's always people that will mention, "Oh, we played them in '98," but we're not a big like Iran shouldn't be a big worry for us. When this team has qualified for three straight World Cups, this is the same core team as from 2018. We're playing in Qatar. This is as close of a home World Cup as Iran will ever get, and I have a coach that has more pedigree than by far than Greg Berhalter. And so, if anything, I think Iran should be more of the favorites, but will obviously be written off as. They are Iran, and um, I think I'm I am personally very confident that Iran can easily top this group, finish second in this group, but can easily finish last in this group. But I would put my money on Iran getting out of this group in one way or another. So that would be my take anyway. And I think the main consensus from all Iranians is they just need to get out of out of this group. They need to finally make the round of 16. And 
Yeah, I'd say something around there. Well, unfortunately, the story about Iran lately has not been the soccer. It has been the politics. There is a lot going on in that country. Um, There seems to be civil unrest. There seems to be issues between the people and the government. um, And that seems to be bleeding over into soccer. There's been calls from different groups for uh, Iran to be removed from the World Cup. Uh, I would say that that's not very likely to happen. That seems like a just that would be a wild and uh, unprecedented move from FIFA to do that. Uh, so I, I'm fully expecting Iran to be in the national team. Uh, but tell me a little bit about the political drama that's going on in that country and how it's affecting this World Cup team and their their World Cup bid. Um, I mean, I'm not much of a political guru. I only know so much. And it's yeah, I understand. I, I understand. Yeah. And, and to my point of view, um, I think right now Iran are on a cusp of a moment of maybe change in that country, which it's very much needed. I mean, as my whole family is Iranian and I want to see this country prosper and, you know, break out of all this, these bad, what, 40 some years they've been having under this regime. And I would personally say that, you know, all the players have been in support of what's been going on with Iran. They've all voiced their opinions that this team doesn't play for the government. I think that's the biggest thing a lot of people aren't taking away in regards to the the written articles and whatnot. I think most of us here understand that these players don't play for the government. They play for the people of Iran. And I feel like it'd be so important for this national team to play at this World Cup because this will help be able to shed more of a light with what's going on with Iran. Then if they got kicked out, if anything, if they get kicked out, that benefits the Islamic Republic and the government as they won't have to fund this team to go to the World Cup. They won't have to pay for their new kits and things like that. And, you know, I, as an Iranian, every World Cup, there's always politics revolving around the Iranian national team. We saw in the last uh, World Cup, Nike boycotted them. So a lot of the players that were sponsored by Nike weren't able to wear their boots. Iran never got a sponsor for a World Cup jersey. Uh, They built their own World Cup kits, so they bought a blank template Adidas kit and made their jersey. So that is why you can never purchase an Iranian national team kit on any like footballing site or you see them in your local soccer store. And you know, I think, I think right now, I I really hope that uh, people see it as you know these players are players playing for you know, the people as they've all worn black wristbands, uh, you know, in support of what's going on when they've scored goals, they don't really celebrate and same domestically in the Persian golf league. They don't celebrate. No one has celebrated any of the goals to my knowledge, uh, when they have scored as all the games have been played behind closed doors. So there is no, uh, you know, people voicing their opinions, you know, and, uh, you know, protests and things like that at the games. And if anything, I feel like if Iran was able to play at this World Cup, you these players will be able to, you know, shed more of a light, more eyes will be on this topic. And I think this would, if anything, benefit the people of Iran because there's no difference between an American and an Iranian as they're all just people. And it, I know there's always this tainted image that, you know, Iran hate the U.S. and things like that. Someone that, you know, was born in the U.S. and, you know, grew up in the U.S., but also has family in Iran and has been to Iran many times and, you know, has been able to, you know, live in that culture. Iranians love Americans as much as, you know, anyone else would. And I hope that nothing, I, as you said, I don't think anything will happen as well. Um, but I just think the key takeaway is these players play for the people. They don't play for the government. And, you know, I think it'd be important because these players have worked so hard for four years to play in this World Cup. And I think it'd be important for them to play in this and also for the fans don't take away a moment you know that fans wait every four years for because 
you know, as even if there's bad things going on within that country, football can be a joyous moment to break down political barriers and, you know, to make people happy. Kick, weirdly enough, men kicking a ball for 90 minutes can make people happy. So that would just be my takeaway on this. Yeah, that seems to be the um, the the discussion is is who would you be punishing if you took this World Cup away from Iran? Would you be publishing punishing the people, or would you pu- be punishing the government? Uh, it seems like the government is not um, super interested in soccer and and uh, sports for that matter, considering some of the events have taken place already. Uh, so it, it does seem like it would be absolutely punishing the people, and that's that's something that's really disappointing. Um, and, and as you said, I mean, so many times throughout history, we've seen the World Cup serve as like a um, wonderful, liberating tournament where the people really get to express themselves, uh, despite of maybe an oppressive, oppressive regime or whatever else is going on in that country. Uh, that being said, with, with all the unrest going on in the country and, and uh, with all the issues and all the struggles and all the uh, things happening in the streets, um, and then you have a, a, an Iranian team that had locker room issues previously, you get a new coach that's coming in. Um, how is all these outside issues going to affect the team um, as, as they head to Qatar? It seems like they're going to be carrying an awful lot of weight on their shoulders uh, that other teams might not necessarily because of all the stuff happening in the country and, and all the eyes that are on this team, um, is do you feel like that's going to come across? Do you feel like this there's extra pressure on these guys to perform, considering what's happening in their country, um, or, or is this kind of a non-issue uh, as it pertains to the actual athletics and the actual competition that's happening on the field? Uh, that's a loaded question, but I will yeah. try my best to answer it. Um, I think it's a good point. I think that's something that when people ask about the Iranian national team, that is something you have to discuss. And you know, I'm I've been fortunate enough to speak to some of the players, not as if we're friends, but I've been fortunate enough to be able to meet some of them. And you know, these guys all came, you know, from the streets of Iran, and they know what it feels like to be these people in Iran and to live in Iran and, you know, with all the issues that revolve around this country. And if anything, if it serves as a way for the people, uh, for these players to be like, you know, we're playing for the people, you know, um, we want to make these people happy. We're not doing this for ourselves. If anything, they are no longer playing this to win this game. They're playing this game to play it for the people, to show them that, you know what, like these people deserve it. It's, it's now become more than just, football soccer it's now more it's become you know like almost like being a superhero for these people of your country and i think all these players always when you know you see it on social media obviously unfortunately we don't have anything like u.s men's national team only where every time someone you know that's iranian goes to a game in europe for porto Feyenoord, leverkusen and you know show up for those iranian players they always show their love to their fans you know always taking the time to give their shirt to the fans to to take photos with them and because they very much value these people because they used to be one of them they used to just be a fan of football and i think for me i think it's going to serve as more motivation for them you know now they're not just playing to play soccer they are playing for the people of their country which granted it was already there but now there's even more of that emphasis of you know, there's a lot more of these external factors and these players are professional athletes. I wouldn't be worried about them cracking under pressure. They've, I think they've been in way more higher pressure situations. If anything, I think it'll serve as more motivation to be like, you know what, um, we're doing this for every single man, woman, child in Iran. And I think if anything, it might, you know, serve as more motivation for this team. 
All right, last question. It's going to be more about the region than uh, than about the Iranian national team. Uh, we know as the U.S. men's national team fans that uh, world soccer is pretty European and South American centric and everybody else doesn't really matter. Uh, and we've been kind of fighting to raise the level in CONCACAF and, and really go out there and change the paradigm uh, of what is world soccer. Um, now, Lately, the U.S. did uh, play two friendlies against two Asian teams. Uh, we got slapped around by Japan pretty good, and, and we had a, a, a pretty listless draw against Saudi Arabia. Uh, what would you say about the level of soccer over in the Asian Federation um, and, and its growth? And, and, and where do you think it'll be in, a, in like a decade's time from now? Do you think it will be competing uh, as one of the top federations? Or are we still a ways away from that? First and foremost, Sam, I really appreciate you bringing up this question because I recently, I think after the game from USA against Saudi Arabia, I put out a tweet saying, because USA fans, I think, uh, and I'm not calling them all out, but like they like they kind of joked about it. And I, not even just USA, and a lot of continents, they make fun of Asian football. And they're like, oh, this is just kind of a joke. It's only Japan. It's only Korea. And I think Saudi Arabia have become one of now the big names in Asian football. Obviously, Iran is kind of always in that conversation, and Qatar have now been a revelation. I mean, they won the last Asian Cup, now are hosting this World Cup. And you know what I have to say about that is, I mean, if you if you, if you watch those two games from Japan and uh, Saudi Arabia against the U.S., I mean, as you said, Japan just smacked around the U.S. It was like boys against men in that game, and then the game against Saudi Arabia, we're missing a lot of key players, and still really just were able to stifle the, whatever USA's creativity was in that game and i think asian football has improved so much i mean i think one of the darlings of asian football is sun for tottenham and i think mehdi tatami is also now becoming one of the names as one of the darlings of asian football as well and i think i think at this very moment we're going to be completely honest i think asian football is better than Concacaf. um was it better than south america better than europe maybe not but depending on the country and depending on the day i think we've seen iran go toe-to-toe with the best countries in Asia. We've seen the same thing uh, from South Korea. We've seen the same thing from Japan in regards to Europe. I would say maybe it's closer to European soccer than it is to South American soccer. I, I don't know. For me, I think South American football is just on a whole different level, in my opinion. And we don't really have much of a sample size in regards to Asian nations against uh, South American nations. But when we have seen it, I think there's a big discrepancy. But I think you know, Asian football is kind of getting on that level where, you know, if they face off in a one-off game against a European team, we've seen them multiple times be able to pull out with good results. I mean, for example, 2018, Japan against Belgium. I mean, they went toe-to-toe against them, were nearly able to get a win. Uh, South Korea beat Japan in 2018. Iran went toe-to-toe against Portugal and Spain. And so, I mean, the list goes on. And so, I'm not an Asian football expert, but I think we're starting to see a little bit more of that progression. I think maybe at some point, though, granted, I think with Canada's rise um, and with USA's rise, I think a little bit Mexico's a little bit on that downward trend. I think we could see those two nations because they're really starting to build a system now within the sport. I think we could see them get to that level of Asian football. And but I think with the darlings of like Sun and Todd and me, you know, showing that, you know, Asian football players can play at the highest level and score big goals for some of the biggest teams and in the Champions League will inspire more people to be just like them. So I think it's on an upward trend. Uh, I don't know if I can give like an estimate of how many years it will be. So uh, I'll leave that up to the people in the comments. They can be the voice for me on that one. 
Shion, thank you so much, man. I mean, your your knowledge of Iranian football and, and Asian football is pretty impressive, man. Just listen, listening to you go through all those results from previous World Cups. Can you let everybody know where they can find you, where they can find your content? Yeah, um, uh, Sam, first and foremost, again, I want to say thank you so much for having me on, and I appreciate the kind words. It really means a lot. But boys and girls, if you just want to find me, uh, I think Sam will most likely leave a link or some sort of way you can click it. Just literally go to my YouTube channel, Next Generation Football. I talk about MLS, one of my favorite leagues. It is my favorite league, actually, in the whole wide world. Uh, CONCACAF and the Iranian national team. So if you guys are ever interested in those that type of content, go check me out. I will be at this World Cup, so expect match vlogs, certain match previews. Um, if you want to see my coverage of the World Cup, make sure just go subscribe to me, Next Generation Football, on YouTube. Simple as that. And of course, if you're a Seattle Sounders fan, you got to follow you too. I mean, one of the coolest moments was that video uh, of you and uh, I'm forgetting the head coach of Seattle, but he came up to you and he recognized you and he was talking to you about one of your takes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Seattle. that's true too. I guess um, as well, if you're interested, if you're a big Sounders fan, you can check out our, it's basically just like Arsenal fan TV, rave green TV, all things uh, Seattle Sounders. Yeah, we've had a lot of great moments with players, with the head coach and uh, yeah, that's something to tack on as well if you want to check that out. But my main channel, Next Generation Football. But if you like the Sounders, you might have some hardcore Sounders fans, to be fair. Uh, you can also check me out on Rave Green TV. Right now, we're on a little bit of a, you know, it's right now on the side because, you know, it's off season. They're not yeah. in the playoffs for the first time ever. So there's not really any content there for you all. But yeah, that's a good call. It's a good call by Sam. I appreciate that. So yeah. Guys, thank you so much for watching. If you enjoyed this video, if you got something out of it, hit that subscribe button, hit the like button. You can also become a member. Shout out to all the tier two members. For Shion, my name is Sam. This is the Yank Report brought to you by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.